Good morning once again. Can I uh, please have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 17. As we said last time, we've, uh, I don't know, kind of stepped onto holy ground in our study of John's Gospel. Some have called John 17 the holy of holies of the Gospels because it gives us an intimate glimpse of the Son communing with the Father, which is why I'm calling this series in uh, John 17, With Jesus Behind the Veil. Of course, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, or holy of holies in the temple, which only the high priest was allowed to enter into, and then only once a year on the Feast of Yom Kippur. Jesus is our great high priest, can enter the holy of holies at any time. And uh, here we see him before he left the earth, entering into that communion with his Father that we are privileged to witness here in chapter 17. Now, let me set the stage one more time. Jesus and his disciples had finished the Passover meal, had left the upper room, and were making their way through the streets of Jerusalem and the temple precincts, temple courts, on their way to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus would spend the remaining hours in prayer before being arrested and hauled off to, tr to stand trial before uh, Pilate. And, um, and, of course, the events of that morning would unfold rapidly, where we would see Jesus on the cross by 9 a.m. So right now, though, they are on their way, working their way uh, through the streets of Jerusalem, on their way to the Mount of Olives. And as we have pointed out along the way, he continues to teach his disciples one last time before his crucifixion. Now, as we come to John 17, the Lord stops teaching his disciples and starts praying to his Father. John 17 is known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And as we said last week, this is truly the Lord's Prayer. Not the one that we call the Lord's Prayer, which the Lord gave to us to pray, gave to us to pray as disciples of His, as recorded in Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. Jesus Christ could never have prayed that prayer. Forgive me my sins, Father. As I forgive those who have sinned against me, are you kidding me? No. John 17 contains the real Lord's Prayer in all of its glory and majesty. And as we said last week, I think we need to approach this chapter with a spirit of humility and worship. It's that holy. Uh, this prayer is simply divided up into three parts, three main parts. First of all, Jesus prays for himself. Secondly, Jesus prays for his disciples, those men that had followed him for the last three and a half years. And then Jesus prays for all believers, which includes you and I. That's interesting, right? So we started last week looking at that first main part of this prayer. Jesus prays for himself. That covers verses 1 to 5. We won't get that far today, as you probably figured out. But let me just read the first couple of verses. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. And of course, as we said last week, that would be through the Son's death and ultimate resurrection. That your Son may also glorify you. 
as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. The statement that your son also may glorify you, the meaning of that statement is explained in the next, in the next two verses. Jesus glorifies the Father by giving eternal life to those who believe on him. Guys, it brings great glory to God, and this is where we need to perk up our ears, all right? If we want to bring glory to God, this is how we do it. The very way Jesus prayed, it, it was to be done. It brings great glory to God when ungodly men and women are converted and manifest the life of Jesus on this earth. People desperately need to know what God's like. There's a lot of false gods out there, a lot of misrepresenting of God, even by so-called Christian ministers and evangelists. But people in the world really need to understand what God is like. God is spirit. And pe people can't see God directly, but they can see him by looking into our lives. Or they should be able to. That's the, the idea. God gets glory when we manifest his character on this earth uh, as his people. Jesus said in verse 2, you have given him. Now he's talking in the third person, but Jesus said, you've given me authority over all flesh the father guys has given authority to jesus to give eternal life to those the father has given to the son but also to judge those who reject jesus as their savior you can check out chapter 5 verses 21 and 2 because jesus stated this succinctly that father you have given me the authority to give life to whomever You've given me. In other words, whomever would believe on me. But he went on to say, but the Father judges no man and has committed all judgment to the Son. Read Revelation 21, verses 11 to 15. So verse 2, one more time. Jesus said, Father, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Verse 3, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, guys, the theme of John's gospel is eternal life. This is a subject that we have covered many, many times in our church. Uh, I would like to revisit some of the things we've talked about with regard to eternal life this morning, because, number one, we are in John's gospel. This is the climax portion John's whole theme, right, at the end of his gospel, he said, uh, you know, Jesus did many other things that I can't even contain uh, in this book, but these I have written that you might believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That was John's heart. That was the main reason he wrote his gospel. And right here in Jesus Christ's high priestly prayer, the very first thing he touches on is eternal life. So indulge me uh, as we just kind of review some of the things. Uh, if you've been coming to Calvary for a while, you are familiar with that we have taught on this subject. But, of course, for those who are brand new, those who will be watching uh, over the Internet via our live stream, maybe for them this is the first time they've ever really heard it put this way. So um, be patient. But I want you to understand one more time. Eternal life was the theme of John's gospel. Fifty-four times in his gospel, John talks about the life that only Jesus gives. The world knows nothing of this life. Nothing of this life. 
that John has in mind. As we've already pointed out, eternal life isn't so much a quantity of life as much as it is a quality of life. How do I know that? Well, the Greek word that John uses for life is zoe. And that is a Greek word that means spiritual life. Or in other words, the life of God is the idea. The Bible defines zoe life as a dynamic life. Now I'm pulling this from different passages that talk about life, okay? I'm just kind of summarizing briefly what the New Testament has to say about this life. Uh, it defines it as a dynamic life, a fruitful life, a joyful and fulfilled life. It's a life that Jesus himself said in John 10 was abundant, and David in Psalm 23 described as overflowing. But here's the problem. If if we were to go around asking people to define the concept of life, just in general, you know, what is life? You know, <laughs> the man or woman on the street, you know, walking up to people, and be careful they don't hit you or something. But hey, can you tell me what is life? What's your definition of life, right? Um, I think for most people, that concept would be a little hard to nail down. I think most people today would probably try to define life in terms of a quality of living, a quality of living. They would say, no doubt, not everyone, but I think most people in our culture would probably say that life is about achieving a certain level of you know, happiness based on success in their chosen career field, which then brings them affluence, material possessions, and possibly even fame. But this abundant life that Jesus spoke, Jesus spoke of isn't external, as many believe and teach. It isn't an abundance of money or possessions or earthly success. This life is spiritual in nature. As Jesus said in John 6, verse 63, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Look, I've said it before, let me say it again. Money can buy you things, but not happiness. Books, but not wisdom. Money can buy you a quality of living, but not a quality of life. The first being outward, the second inward. In fact, Jesus warned us against trying to define our lives in terms of our possessions when he said in Luke 12, verse 15, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a person's life does not consist in the abundance of the things they possess. And that came from the one who made us, who knows better than anybody how we tick and what will really make us happy. You see, guys, eternal life, Zoe, isn't just a quantity of life. It's a quality of life. The thing that makes eternal life so wonderful and so appealing is not its quantity, the fact that it's never-ending, but its quality, that if, the fact that it's overflowing with the life and fullness of God. Guys, and we touched on this last week, but eternal life wouldn't be appealing if it simply meant life stretched out into eternity or life that never ends. You know, in other words, if we're simply talking about living an earthly life or uh, an earthly existence forever, well, for most people, that wouldn't be something that they would necessarily uh, desire or look forward to having. I mean, let's be honest. For many people, life is painful, hopeless, and empty. And it's becoming more so for people in our culture. 
I think more and more uh, than ever before in our nation's history, that kind of defines or sums up what most people are going through or how they feel about life. That for them, life is painful, it's hopeless, and it's empty. And I think an extreme example of this would be somebody who has a medical problem, let's say like a quadriplegic who is, uh, who is stuck in bed, who can't get up, can't feed themselves, can't go anywhere, has to depend on machines and others to keep them alive. That's not living, right? That's existing. That's existing. It's a miserable existence that wouldn't be a blessing but the biggest curse imaginable if prolonged forever. Again, people in hell are going to live forever. That's not going to be a blessing, obviously. It, the fact is that just because you stretch out somebody's life into eternity, that's not where the blessing lies. It's not in the, in the length. It's in the scope or what is making up that life, right? What makes the eternal life that Jesus gives so appealing and so desirable is that it's never-ending life. Listen, this is Zoe life. It's never-ending life in all of its fullness, richness, joy, and blessing because it's the life of God in us. Let me come at this in, in a slightly different way. Not only does Zoe life come from Christ, it is only found in Christ. It's not that Jesus just gives this life, as we studied last time, 1 John 5.20, he is this life. Now, that's a very important theological point. There's only life. It, it's, um, people have compared Noah's Ark, and, and this, this is accurate. The Holy Spirit, I'm convinced totally, used Noah's Ark to be an illustration of being in Christ. And if you study Noah's Ark, you know, go back and listen to our Genesis today, because we pulled some of these things out, how the Ark represents Christ in so many different ways, right? But the fact is that while Noah and his family were in the ark, they were safe, right? Who closed the door? God did. So they were, what, sealed in the ark by the Holy Spirit? That sounds like first, like first, first, first Ephesians. If you have a first Ephesians, come and see me because uh, something's wrong. That reminds me of the first chapter of the book of Ephesians, verses 13 and 14. We were sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. In Christ is the idea, right? But there was only life in the ark. Outside the ark was certain death, the flood, right? Judgment. There is only life in Christ. The whole book of Ephesians, the theme is two words, in Christ. In Christ. And we throw these things around glibly. Yo, I, I'm in Christ. What does that mean, though, to you? What does the Bible say that means? It means everything, guys. Everything is, is based on are we in Christ or out of Christ? Well, I go to church. That's not being in Christ necessarily. That's being in church. You can be in church and not be in Christ. Inside the Son, Jesus Christ, there is spiritual slash eternal life. And outside the Son, there is no spiritual life, only spiritual or eternal death and separation from God in hell. And we all know this. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but the instant a person receives Jesus Christ as their Savior by faith, they are placed at that very moment. I think it's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The Spirit of God takes us and places us in Christ. We're members of His body now. We are placed in the body of Christ, and 
because we are in Christ and the Spirit is in us, the Holy Spirit then fills us with the life of God. Or, as Jesus put it in John 4, he fills us with living water. Just a, a metaphor for being filled with God. Uh, turn to John 4. Let me read to you something you know very well. As Jesus engaged in conversation with a woman by the well of Sychar in Samaria, and this gal, he had an appointment with her. She didn't know that when she came to draw water that day. But from the foundation of the world, it was penciled into Jesus Christ's earthly docket that on this day, at a certain hour, he would go up to Samaria where he would have a meeting with a woman, an unsaved Samaritan woman whom God loved and Jesus was about to die for. And when Jesus began to engage her, and the Lord's so brilliant, the Lord is brilliant, of course. I love to watch him work, though. Talk about the master of everything. The master of evangelism, right? He met her on the level of her need, right? He talked, we, we meet people, right, when we're talking about deeply spiritual things. Don't do that. Try to find common ground and build on that. Well, she was thirsty. Water, physical water. That's why she came to the well. And Jesus said to her, verse 10, first of all, if you only, she didn't know who he was. She started flirting with him. That was kind of her nature, you know, flirty little gal. And, um, you know, and Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift of the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give to you living water. Anyone who drinks, verse 13, anyone who drinks this water, physical water, will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give, which is the life of God, that's what he's talking about will never be thirsty again, but it, will, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Last week we said that eternal life is not something that we're waiting to get someday when we get to heaven. No. The Bible says eternal life is something we have right now the moment we receive Christ. Classic passage on this we looked at last time, 1 John 5, verses 11 to 13. You can check it out again, right? You have, and I have eternal life once we receive Christ. So we're not waiting for it someday. We have it right now. But what does it look like? We Okay, as Christians, we believe, as the Bible teaches, it's ours right now. But what are the benefits of it? How do, what does it look like on a practical level to have this life inside of me? Well, that's a very good question and a very practical one for us to understand, right? And again, I'm just piecing together different things from the New Testament. You can probably give me some insights that maybe I didn't think of that God is speaking to you about as we go through this. These are some basic things, though. Uh, practical realities of being born again and having eternal life, the life of God within us, right? Guys, when a person receives Jesus into their heart as their Savior, as we just said, the Holy Spirit moves in. And the result is that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 to 23, starts to grow inside 
in the heart, but eventually begins to work its way outside, just like a crop, right? You plant the seed in the soil, it's, it's invisible, it's hidden. I don't know who's accepted Christ. I mean, you know, you could, a person could accept Christ today at noon, and hopefully they will. Um, but I don't really know if they have. They've walked the aisle, prayed a prayer. A lot of people do that and have not really received Christ. What am I looking for? Fruit. I'm looking for fruit. Jesus said you will know them by their foliage. That they come to church now and have the biggest Bible in the, in the church hanging under their arm. Kind of tilting them over it's so heavy. The biggest exhaustive Bible you ever saw, right? That's not, you know, I've seen people plaster bumper stickers all over their cars. I, I've seen them where, Jesus, this is when I first got saved, Jesus t-shirts were real popular. You don't see a whole lot today. We all had the Jesus t-shirts. And people would wear them as they come to, all the time. A lot of young people, when we first got saved, ministered to a lot of young people. And they would all be wearing, I was a young person back then, so I, I wore a, a t-shirt too, a lot of times. But you come to realize as time goes on that sometimes those who are advertising the loudest uh, don't even know the Lord in their hearts. So I'm looking for the fruit, right? And when the Spirit of God moves in, He fills us with the Spirit. The Spirit fills us with Himself. And uh, the fruit of the Spirit starts to grow. And as it begins to poke its way out into our lives, the, just the different attributes that we read about in Galatians 5, 22 and 3. What does it do? It proves that we are now a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Again, Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. By their fruit. The fruit demonstrates that they are a child of God. Listen to me. And we have said this before. The fruit doesn't make you a child of God. And I have to say that because there are some churches and ministries that have it exactly backward. They're very legalistic, and they try to, and they, not try, they do teach their people that you got to work hard to live a holy life. you got to work hard to bear fruit, and if you do, you'll earn your salvation. That's exactly backward, exactly backward. The fruit doesn't make you a child of God. Listen, it simply bears witness to the reality that you have been born of the Spirit and are now a child of God. Guys, a person can tie some, some fake spiritual fruit onto themselves. What do I mean? Well, they can come to church and put on a good spiritual facade. But that won't make them a Christian any more than tying apples onto a thorn bush makes that bush an apple tree. It's the relationship with Jesus that causes God's life to flow into and then through them as a child of God producing spiritual fruit the classic passage on this is john 15 the first i think eight verses john 15 the first eight verses jesus really gets in we studied this in detail we studied that portion of john's gospel but guys without the, that relationship with god not, without a person being born again a person has to because when they're born again they're connected to christ and jesus said in john 15 these fruits come they just grow naturally you never have walked into an orchard, we'll say, and have heard apple trees grunting and straining to produce apples. It just happens naturally as a byproduct of the, of the branch 
being connected to the trunk, right? And that was Jesus' whole point, although he used not apple trees but grapevines, to communicate that same principle. Now, people that are not connected to Christ, and they might be churchgoers, but they're not born again. Well, that person has to draw strength, joy, and joy, peace, and purpose, all the things that make life livable. There are, there are um, things that without them in our lives, life becomes unbearable, unlivable. People need, you know, the things that Jesus talked about, but I'll just paraphrase, a person that's not born again, that's not really connected to Christ, uh, has got to draw strength, joy, peace, and purpose from their careers, their circumstances in life, their personal, um, their, their circumstances, their personal experiences, their material possessions, and more and more today from artificial things like drugs and alcohol to kind of mask the pain and um, give them some semblance of joy. But guys, that only lasts so long, even for the rich and famous, because there is only so much a person can buy, only so many places they can go, and only so many drugs they can take before their life crashes. Now, in 2018, I gave a special message uh, on this very topic. And what I did, it was more of a devotional back then. This is before COVID, obviously. But um, when I first gave this message, I mentioned how that another celebrity had just committed suicide that week. Of, it was a Sunday message, right? His name was Anthony Bourdain. Now, uh, Bourdain was the Emmy Award-winning host of a culinary travel show known as Parts Unknown. He hanged himself in his hotel room in France. Bourdain's suicide followed the suicide of world-renowned fashion designer Kate Spade three days earlier on Tuesday of that week. Spade hanged herself in her, in her New York City apartment. And of course, we all remember the tragic death of comedian Robin Williams in August of 2014. Williams also hanged himself. And just this week, I read that the person who was the original voice of Charlie Brown, actor Rob, Peter Robbins, committed suicide. And guys, these are just a few of many people. Some of them rich and famous, some of them you know, bankers, very wealthy people. These are just a few of the rich and famous who have taken their lives over the past few years. The question is, why are all these rich celebrities, and there are others, of course, committing suicide? I mean, most people consider fame and wealth to be the very epitome of happiness and fulfillment in life. Apparently, that's not true. And of course, as Christians, we know it's nothing more than a lie spawned in the councils of hell to get people to pursue everything other than God to find happiness and fulfillment in life. And when those worldly pursuits don't deliver happiness and fulfillment, because they can't, he uses that thing to push them into depression and suicide, the devil. 
It's what Jesus called the deceitfulness of riches in Matthew 13, verse 22. What is the deceitfulness of riches? That money and or anything else, fame, whatever, can bring you happiness. You know, as I've said before, it was John Rockefeller, who was a multimillionaire, back when being a multimillionaire was like being a multi-billionaire today, right? When a million bucks was a million bucks. But he worked like 18 hours a day. Extremely successful and wealthy man, but working like 18 hours a day. And one time a reporter uh, interviewed him and said, Mr. Rockefeller, you're a very wealthy man. I mean, you know, you're working all these hours still. Uh, you know, when are you going to have, and what, what amount of money is enough to get you to enjoy it and slow down? And here's what he said, just a little more. That is the deceitfulness of riches. My money has not made me happy even though I'm a multi-million billionaire. But just a little more will. And it robs men, and now women, who are very much in the corporate world, of the things that matter most, God and their family. Lee Iacocca, who was at one time the CEO of Chrysler, made a famous statement years ago. He said, no man on his deathbed ever wished he had spent more time at the office. But that's the deceitfulness of riches. I'm doing this for my family. I've heard that. Why are you working so many hours? I'm doing it for my family. I struggled when I was younger. My parents didn't have any money. I'm doing this for my family. Do you ever think your family wants you and not your money? Do you ever think your, your family wants you instead of a new bike or a new computer or a new iPhone? The deceitfulness of riches has caused many to come to the realization money doesn't make me happy. You know, at the height of COVID-19 lockdowns in August of 2020, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, came out with a report that said suicide rates were up by 30% on average nationwide. And that was on top of a 30% increase that they had logged in and, uh, and had studied back in 1999. They said it occurred all across the country in all demographics and age groups. Kids from as young as 10 committing suicide, all the way up to adults. Men, women, didn't matter. But guys, even before COVID, the CDC reported, and I'm getting this from their website, I'll quote it to you. They said that more than half of all the individuals who committed suicide had no mental health diagnoses. So then, why are all these relatively healthy people, mentally speaking, killing themselves? Well, the experts have all kinds of opinions as to why suicides are way up in our country. Let me give you my opinion. Take it for what you will. I'm no expert in anything. But I believe that as our nation has become more and more secular, and, if, and as people have either turned their backs on God, making him irrelevant, sometimes they say, I believe in God, but he's totally irrelevant in their life, or many in our culture no longer believe in God at all. Neo-atheism is way up among young people, millennials especially. That's why 
a study came out not long ago saying that this, church, this generation of young people is the least churched in our nation's history. Why is that? Because they don't believe in God. They just don't believe in him. You know, guys, three of the fruits of the Holy Spirit listed in Galatians 5 are love, joy, and peace. Those are the first three, right? Love, joy, and peace. Now, I can make a case that every one of those is needed for life to be worth living. Any one of them missing, your life is going to be greatly diminished and maybe unlivable. I don't know. Love, joy, and peace. Guys, these come directly from God. In other words, they are part of his nature. And they grow naturally in the lives of those who have connected to him through his son, Jesus Christ, who are born again, as we just talked about. These fruits, again, make life desirable and livable. But anyone not connected to God through his son, Jesus Christ, anyone not born again because man... Mankind needs these things to justify why life is worth living. And if they don't tap into God where the real thing becomes a reality in their lives, they will have to manufacture these things to give them any sense of purpose or meaning to life, right? So if you are not connected to Jesus, uh, to have Jesus Christ in your heart and are connected to God, where the Spirit of God is inside of you, giving you the attributes of God, true love, true joy, true peace, you're going to have to try to manufacture these things. What does that look like? Well, uh, love becomes sex. Now, that's not for everybody. Not, not all unbelievers would, you know, would ascribe to this. But more and more, this is becoming the norm in our culture. Love is defined as sex. Peace, how do you get peace if you don't know Christ? Well, you get drugs, alcohol, right? Yoga, hypnosis. I mean, there's other ways. But I think the big ones are drugs and alcohol. How about joy? Well, when joy, equal, joy equals material possessions. The more stuff you have, the happier you're going to be, right? You've seen the bumper sticker, the one who dies with the most toys, what? Wins, dies. That's very good. That's exactly what it is. I love that. The one who dies with the most toys dies. And not good after that, if that's all they have is toys. The people that manufacture these things, love equals sex, peace equals drugs, joy equals material possessions, it's only fake fruit. Fake fruit. And while it might fool people we come in contact with, you know, deceiving them into thinking we're happy and have it all together. We know the truth, and the truth is it's all a facade. We know that we are putting on an act. When I say we, I'm talking about America collectively, not anyone in this room in particular. It's a, it's a culture, right? We're just like kind of identifying with the culture. People that put on the facade... They, of all people, know they're putting on an act. They're displaying fake fruits, and fake fruits don't, and listen, can't satisfy the emptiness and depression within anybody. Now, the question is, as we kind of wind this down, the question is, why aren't more Christians 
experiencing this dynamic spiritual life in their own lives on a daily basis. I mean, they have union with Jesus. They have the Holy Spirit within them. They have the real thing inside. The attributes of God. The life of God. Peter says we are partakers of the divine nature. We have the real thing within us. The real love, joy, peace, and so on, right? Those things that come from God. So why, if we are, as Christians, genuine born-again Christians, why aren't more Christians experiencing this dynamic spiritual life in their own lives on a daily basis? I mean, as Christians, they have union with Christ. They're saved. So why then aren't they experiencing this abundant, dynamic, overflowing life that Jesus promised would be theirs? Now, let me stop and say this, because I know inevitably I'm going to depress some of you. Because you're going to, and the devil's going to do this. You know, you're going through a rough patch. You've been, you've been, it's been hard. You've been down. Maybe you got a bad diagnosis from the ho a doctor. Something very serious is wrong inside. Cancer or something. You're going to need uh, treatments and everything. Or, you know, financially things are collapsing. Or your marriage is falling apart. I'm, I'm not saying as a Christian every day is going to be a spiritual high. Every day is going to be God with you. Yes, during the times of spiritual highs, but in valley lows. So I don't want you to get the impression. What I'm saying is, if you aren't walking on clouds every day, you're not really saved, or there's something wrong with you. That, that kind of teaching is disingenuous, dishonest, and it's not true. Christians can, have, can go through some rough patches, and we do. I'm just saying in general, though, if a person, day after day, week after week, year after year, is not experiencing anything of the dynamic or the overflowing abundance that Christ promised, um, I, I think that it's a red flag, is what I'm saying. Because let me say this. To, to experience those things in our lives. Um, well, let me just put it this way. As a child of God, um, for this life to flow in and through us on a regular basis, we have to stay connected to Jesus every day. Simple, basic, but don't overlook it. Don't look for problems that are more deep answers to problems that are more deep than they should be. You talk to some Christians and people that like to sell, you know, CDs online and uh, books and things, they have to make the simple seem very difficult and profound, and if you only I know the answer kind of a thing. I believe that most of our problems as Christians can be traced back to one primary issue as Christians. We have union with Christ. We're saved. But are we walking in daily communion with Christ? Are we letting our problems get our eyes off of Jesus? Like Peter on the Sea of Galilee. Is that why we're sinking? It's not that we don't believe in Jesus. We're just not focusing on him. And that's the issue. Look. Again, we have union with Jesus as believers. We have salvation. 
And then that's where everything starts, like connecting a hose to a spigot and turning it on, right? But for the water to continue to flow through that hose, it must continue to be connected to the source of the water. Simple. As Christians, we would put it this way, union, salvation, connects us to Jesus, but communion keeps us connected to him every day, allowing the Holy Spirit, in other words, the life and living water of God, to continually flow into and through our lives. Guys, this is what Jesus meant when he said in John 7, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Then John, 60 years later, as he's writing his gospel, uh, uh, added his commentary. John says, but this he spoke concerning the Holy Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. Guys, again, the joy, blessing, and dynamic of the life of the Spirit will constantly fill and flow through us, fill us and flow through us, only when we stay in, in closely connected, walking closely with Jesus and fellowship every day. Um, get involved with sin, and Christians can certainly sin. Get involved with sin or walk away from Jesus because you're distracted by something the world has that you think is going to bring you some happiness. Think of Solomon. Uh, read the book of Ecclesiastes again. He knew the Lord, but for many years thought that his relationship with God was not going to be the thing that would fully fulfill him. And so he went looking for happiness all over the place. And you can read the book, only to come back at the end of his life to realize what his father told him on the day he was coronated as a young king. Seek the Lord while he might be found, Solomon. Pursue him with all your heart. Serve him with a loyal heart, a willing mind. And he will always be present with you. Forsake him, he will forsake you. And Solomon said, I should listen to my dad. The end of Ecclesiastes. He knew what he was talking about. He knew God. I wish I had listened to him. Saved myself a lot of time and wasted time, Right? But if we walk away from the Lord or get involved in sin, our connection to him is going to be separate, broken. Now, I'm not saying your positional connection with him is going to be separate. In other words, I'm not teaching that you can lose your salvation. But will you? what you will lose is the joy and assurance of your salvation. When we walk away from God as believers, I'm convinced we, we, we never lose our salvation if we really have it in the first place. But what we will lose is the joy of our salvation, the assurance of our salvation. And like that illustration with the hose needing to be connected to the spigot where the water is constantly flowing through it, as we disconnect ourselves from Jesus on a practical level, well, the life of the Spirit runs dry in us. It runs dry. In other words, we're no, no longer going to experience the life of Christ, the dynamic of the Holy Spirit in our life until we repent and get reconnected to him. In other words, fellowship restored is the idea. This means, guys, that as a Christian, when you begin to experience a lack of joy and peace, listen, as we bring it to a close, when anxiety and worry 
starts to grip your heart, and the result is fear and depression. You most likely are experiencing the negative effects of being out of fellowship with God. These are red flags. Now, Christians panic often. And what they do is they try to pursue the joy, the peace, the happiness. As a direct pursuit, that's exactly what the devil wants you to do. That's what Solomon did, by the way. He wasn't really looking for his fulfillment in his relationship with the Lord. He was trying to find it outside the Lord. Or, as we would say, Christians today will try to pursue these things they have lost. They remember when they first got saved. They remember the joy, the excitement. Oh, how they love to come to church. They love to read the Word. They love to talk to people about the Lord. So what's the answer? I need more church, more Bible reading, more of this, more of that. Pursuing as a direct pursuit things that only come as a byproduct of our relationship with Jesus. That's the key. That is the key. We don't need more prayer, more Bible study, more church. I'm not putting those things down. What we really need is more Jesus. Because when you have more Jesus inside you, those other things will be the joy of your heart. To read the Word, go to church, fellowship with other believers, tell people about Jesus. Guys, communing with the Lord Jesus Christ every day is something that is absolutely necessary to experience the life of the Spirit every day in our lives. How do I do that? Well, first of all, let me say this, and, and I promise you we will close. I was thinking about this coming over to church today. I, I, I knew what I wanted to say. I knew, I knew what the Lord gave me. But I knew it was going to come down to, well, okay, how do I do what you're saying? I try. I just, I, I just fall flat all the time. I remember, and this is not just, I remember what my uncle told me, but I've heard this from other people who were very much in bondage to alcohol. My uncle was a bad alcoholic. And he got saved. Art, you know, many of you know Art. He used to come here. He's with the Lord now. He got saved and tried to give up the alcohol. It just had too much of a hold on him. And so one day he told me, and I heard this from other people, almost exactly the same story. One day he knelt by his bed, and he said, God, I can't do it. I cannot do it. I've tried. I can't do it. And the Lord spoke to him and said, Art, I never told you to do it. I told you to trust me. And he said, Lord, I look to you. It's all you. I can't do it. If you don't do it, it's not going to get done. I look to you by faith. He said, I, I got up off my knees I never took another drink the rest of my life, or up until that point. He never did drink. but, And I, I've heard this from people. Take out alcohol, plug in something else. I can't do my devotions, Lord. I can't read the Bible like I want to. I can't pray the way I want to. Guys, it's all the same thing. The flesh is trying to hinder us from walking with God. What is the answer? Try harder? No, as I've said before, abide longer. The more you abide in Christ, the Lord Jesus will live his life through you through the power of the Spirit, 
As Paul said, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. I can't do it, Paul said. It's a supernatural life, which includes victory. And, you know, doing the things that we want to do, as Paul said in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do. Things I don't want to do, sometimes I do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who is going to deliver me from this body of death? You turn the page, chapter 8, I, I thank God. It's through, it's through the Holy Spirit, through my relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what it is. So, guys, can I encourage you to just say a simple prayer today when you go home? Whatever area you're wrestling with, I don't know. But you know, God knows. Lord, I can't do it. I can't have victory. I, I try, but I just can't have consistent victory on a daily basis. I want that resurrection life, that eternal life that has filled me to start coming through and manifesting itself in victory and fruitfulness. But God, I can't do that. So I look to you to live your life through me. And a simple prayer with, from, with all your heart and then just say, then just trust the Lord. Then just trust the Lord. And yeah, it's not like we do nothing. Put it in your heart. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up, set my alarm early, and I'm going to spend some time in the Word. Now, I can't do it in the flesh, but I'm asking God to live his life through me and see what happens. And, and this is the thing we have to understand. Eternal life is not something we're waiting for someday. It's, what, it's something we have right now, and we, we should be living it right now. They got, may God, by his grace, give us the grace to do that. Amen? Father, we thank you for the truths in your word about this incredible subject. And Lord, I'll go on record right now and say, I can't do it. I can't live the life that you want me to live. It's not a life I can manufacture by hard work and determination. I know I need your grace, Lord. I need to draw from your strength. I need you, Lord Jesus, through the power of your spirit to live your life through me. And I know that everyone in this room needs the same thing. So we thank you, Lord. We ask that you would give us the grace to just pray simple prayers of faith. Lord, I can't do it, but through Christ, you can, you can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We thank you, Lord. We ask you to keep blessing these studies in your word. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.